Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I am your host, and today we're joined by a very, very special guest all the way from Chicago, uh, Pastor Jeff Hubing. Brother Jeff, how are you doing today? Hey Marcus, doing great. Thanks for having me on board. It's, uh, it's a real joy, and then hopefully that we can uh, help some of your listeners today just grow and develop in their faith, their understanding of um, what God's at work to do in and through them. So yeah, happy to be with you. And I'm happy as well. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it. I know we, um, we've had relations like with, you know, our, our churches and uh, with you particularly coming to our church and serving our youth. Uh, the first time was actually a couple years ago at our, one of our youth camps. And then again, this past like two months ago, um, uh, reconnecting again at our youth camp, and uh, all I gotta say, it was a blessed time, and it was awesome, and uh, it was a pleasure and honor to to collaborate with you, and just to really learn from what God has told you uh, and instructed you uh, in those respective camps. So I thank you, I thank you a lot for that, and I appreciate that. Well, you're very welcome, man. Thanks for sharing that. I'm I'm always happy to hear that there's a positive impact, um, and of course, uh, it was a real blessing meeting uh, you and some others. Um, being able to be with you guys is a real honor. So appreciate that. Amen. Amen. And before we jump into anything regarding the episode, I do have a couple of announcements for you listeners out there. Um, as you all know, you can follow us for uh, any and all updates on our Instagram at the Potter's House. We are uh, available for streaming uh, multiple platforms, but most notably Apple Podcast and Spotify. And if you guys do have an iPhone and you guys do listen through the Apple Podcast, please go to that purple icon, that app, uh, scroll down, tap the stars, and leave a written review. Um, if you leave one, I'll read it not only to myself, but out loud here on the episode as well. So for those of you who have already done that, thank you so much. And uh, last but not least, we have the website as well, thepottershouse.com. Uh, for those of you who have been tuning in recently, uh, that launched a couple of months ago. And uh, so far, uh, it's pretty bare bones. So uh, all, all there is basically is links to different streaming platforms as well as that fundraiser that we're, I guess, still doing. And um, you guys can click that, get the long sleeves, all that, and then you can you can order from there. But uh, stay tuned in these next couple of months. Uh, whenever I have time, I'll uh, try to basically... Work some magic on that on the on that website and see if we can have uh, uh, more features and more content up there. So stay tuned for that. But uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, pretty standard for you guys out there. So brother Jeff, uh, before we get started, for um, a lot of people out there, uh, I know you you have some connections with the Romanian community uh, because uh, of the of the school that you're very involved in. Um, and uh, some of them actually flew out to Chicago, moved out to Chicago for a time to be involved over there. And then uh, you're also uh, heavily involved uh, serving at Cross Culture Church as well uh, up there in Chicago. Uh, for those of people who don't really know you, why don't you uh, just either briefly, generally uh, introduce yourself? Okay, yeah. Um, born and raised in Wisconsin, so just immediately north of Chicago, but moved down here in the mid-90s to pursue an advanced degree in biblical studies I uh, did a Wheaton uh, at Wheaton College here just west of Chicago, did a master's degree there in biblical and theological studies, stuck, stuck around um, in Chicago proper starting in 1997 um, to work on a PhD in New Testament and early Christianity. Finished that up at Loyola University 
here in Chicago in 2007, uh, have taught in different um, colleges and universities in and around Chicago. I taught at Loyola, taught at Northern Seminary, Christian Life College, and then in 2010, uh, started a school of ministry here in the city called FIRE. Um, FIRE is an acronym, Fellowship for International Revival and Evangelism. Um, the, uh, the mothership for FIRE is out in Charlotte, North Carolina, FIRE School of Ministry, born out of the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida in the late 90s and subsequently moved up to Charlotte. Uh, we have a great relationship with the leaders over there at FIRE, Dr. Michael Brown, Dr. Bob Gladstone, Scott Volk, and others. And in 2010, we, we uh, with their blessing, launched a kind of a sister school here in Chicago to train and equip people for urban ministry, as well as international missions work, church planting, uh, you name it. One of the key uh, leaders in our, our plant uh, of that school here in Chicago was Narcis Popovic, uh, who is my first link to the Romanian community. Narcis introduced me to his cousin, Adi Kovac, and um, in 2011, so 10 years ago, uh, they invited me for the first time to visit uh, Sacramento, where I spoke at Emmanuel Church and uh, a youth conference called, I think, Living Free in Christ. And I spoke and Narcis spoke, and we had an amazing weekend. And that was the beginning, bro, of my connection with the Romanian community, really. And ever since then, I've, I've felt very blessed to be able to stay connected to folks in Sacramento, especially through Josh Topleon and his family. Josh was a student here in Chicago for a couple of years and then was introduced, of course, to Cornell, Gaborash, and uh, met Peter and Nick. And um, they introduced me to Darius <laughs> Zaria out at Riverside. And <clears throat> Darius was a student of ours for a couple of years online while he was working in Riverside. And subsequently, when he moved to Romania, uh, to start work there out in Osheva. That was also uh, an opportunity for me to stay connected. And I've been to Romania now, I think three or four times, um, spent time in Osheva as well as Timisoara with Adi. So yeah, it, it has been a wild ride. I, I am not Romanian by birth. I'm half Dutch, half Luxembourger, but I have been warmly welcomed uh, by many Romanian churches and, and really love the relationships we have. Um, so yeah, the, the whole story is rather intriguing, but uh, it's been a blessing for me. And I hope for, for the, for the folks among you who I've been able to, to be connected to. And I'm sure the, the Romanian listeners out there uh, would very much appreciate that. Those like spot on pronunciations you had of all their, the last names <laughs> and the cities and everything. It was, it was, it was uh, we don't usually get that, you know, especially like, with us Romanians growing up in uh, the school system and then our teachers reading our name on the roll. And um, right. I remember me personally, whenever I heard my first name, I was just like, here, that's it. I'm here. Don't even try my last name. <laughs> you don't even want to have them try it, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it, but it, but we appreciate it. That's cool. That's awesome. And we're glad that, um, that you're, you were very involved with, with our community. And uh, we, we see how God's worked uh, tremendously in, and those young men that you talked about that um, went through went through the school, and then how they're just living for the Lord right now. So that's exciting to that's very, definitely exciting to hear and to see coming uh, coming up. Now, um, 
The topic that we're going to discuss today, uh, as people have already read in our description in the title uh, when they open up this episode, is basically the role of a pastor. The role of a pastor and how he should treat his flock, how he should be involved uh, in his community and the people around him, and how how um, he should use scripture to kind of guide his steps in, in order to make those certain decisions. Now, before we get into anything too theoretical or uh, any, anything application-based, um, I do want to ask you uh, maybe like some personal experiences, you yourself as a pastor, um, what were some things that you had to, maybe maybe there's some shortcomings at the beginning that you didn't really expect that you had to learn from? What are things that you kind of planned out ahead? Uh, what, what, what kind of plan of attack did you have when you were, um, first stepping into this role in ministry and how has your perspective changed over the years? Oh my, wow. That's a loaded question. (laughs) So, you know, I think first of all, in the interest of helping your listeners get oriented to who I am and what we're doing, I didn't mention this. I think you asked me about this, but I, I just talked about the school. But so I, I'm a leader in a church called Cross Culture here in Chicago, but it's it's fairly non-traditional. So you, you got to know on the front end, um, like we plant house churches and we, we don't own a building. We don't have a full, we'd have an office. We have a very different approach to the work. Um, and so even in that, you know, the, the conversation about being a pastor looks different for me. Um, I'm an elder in our community. We, we don't have a senior pastor. We don't have one person who is responsible for the work. We have six people and we work together as a team to care for the church. Um, and those, you know, the people in our community, we're, we're not a large community by any means. We, we may have 120, 125 people total spread out over six different house churches. So our our churches, the way they function, are very relational, and they're very much in the context of people's neighborhoods. And in some cases, they're, they're smaller towns. In some cases, they're you know, located here in the city of Chicago, but they're organized around you know, a geographical location where people live. So the nature of the work we do is, is perhaps... Um, going to look different than what most of your listeners are accustomed to. Now, I'm not saying it's completely like alien, but what I am saying is that one of, one of the major um, adjustments in my own life and my experience of, in leadership has been coming to the realization that we need different voices to help us grow. And the reason is because we're gifted differently. You know, if you were to ask me, are you a pastor? My first instinct is to answer that question, no, because really my first calling and gifting is as a teacher. And I don't necessarily equate that with being a pastor. Now, even though I'm a leader in the church, my gifting and my wiring is more so along the lines of of other strengths. Uh, And there are folks among our elders, however, that are. I would say primarily pastors in terms of who they are and the gift that they carry. So 
and, and this may open up a can of worms you could follow up on it if you want to, but I, I have found that it's very important, uh, both biblically and practically, to be clear about what we mean by pastor. And uh, in many cases, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that folks in our churches hear that word from a biblical perspective. I think, I think we hear it from an organizational perspective. I think we hear it from even a, um, an economic perspective in some cases, but I, I don't, I'm not always convinced we hear it from a biblical perspective. So let me just follow up on what I mean by that. The word pastor, of course, is a translation of a Greek term that means shepherd. Shepherd in the first century was not a church job description, right? It, it, it had a very specific reference point to people that cared for flocks of animals. Now, clearly the word comes over into a leadership perspective, starting in the Old Testament, where shepherd is used by uh, Ezekiel and I think Jeremiah and others to refer to the role of the king. So there are parallels between leaders, you know, and this nomadic kind of pasturing occupation. But in the New Testament, again, it's, it's not really a job. It, it is more so an identification of, of a person who's gifting and calling is to care for people, to nourish them, to protect them and to guide them. And so on my end, when, if we're talking about what it means to be a pastor, I, I think it helps us just to replace that word. You know, what does it mean to be a shepherd of people? And that reframes it a little bit. And, and I think it can help us when we're having conversations about what is the job of the pastor? What does the pastor do? Well, what is required if we're talking about caring for, nourishing, protecting, and guiding people? And in their walk with Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the heart, I think, of what we're talking about when we ask the question about what is the role of a pastor. So, you know, on my end, uh, we probably do things quite differently than many of your listeners. You know, we have a, a fairly uh, distributed model of leadership. We, we actually entrust our house church leaders with a lot of responsibility and caring for people in their communities. And then there, there are six of us who oversee the whole work, which means we spend a lot of time investing in other leaders, equipping them, training them, talking with them about scenarios and, and situations happening in their churches. But, but then in the end of the day, wanting to release them to do the work, um, which as I read Ephesians 4, and you know this might be something else you want to talk about at some point. Ephesians 4 talks about pastors being one group of five groups of people whose responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And again, in some cases, I think we read that and we skip the saints part and we just think it's the job of pastors to do the work of ministry. I'm not denying that, but it certainly isn't the point of emphasis that Paul's bringing to the table when he says that pastors, along with these other groups, and they have to equip people for ministry. So that's a lot there. I'll, let me just stop talking. <laughs> maybe you have some feedback. Maybe you want to push 
back or, or follow up with certain of the things I've said. But yeah, that in general, that's kind of the way we're coming to the work and some of the introductory thoughts I have about it. I, I do want to address one thing, because um, you talked about the, the role of a teacher and the role of a pastor. Now, obviously, maybe on, on, from your perspective, from the outside looking in, um, in my community, the way that we grew up, those roles are kind of fused together. Like the, the, the senior pastor of a church has to be the primary teacher of that church. And basically, the the subordinate preachers, if I can say, underneath that pastor have to match their theology to the pastor, the, the primary teacher of that church. Um, now, we know, like you said, in the word shepherd, pastor, how it's used in the in the Old Testament, in the prophets, in the, uh, the role of a shepherd, caring for the flock, uh, guiding them, protecting them. But then we also read Ephesians 4, where it talks about um, certain responsibilities. And then we get to uh, Paul's epistles, where um, he talks about it a little bit. And then we also look at the spiritual gifts. We know that teaching is a spiritual gift. So um, where, how, so can a pastor be both of those roles? Can he be like, the, like a, a teacher and also care for the flock? Or how do you, how do we separate that? Because from from what I'm seeing right now is that teaching is more of like a gift, and pastor is more of like a role that you assume because you have certain responsibilities that you have to I guess check off. So how how do how can those two coexist and how do they work together? Well, I think the question you you maybe could start with is all right. You Ephesians four eleven is is where we get our concept of um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And, and really, they're all addressed together in that context in the same exact way. Like, in other words, these are gifts that Christ gives the church in Ephesians 4. The ascended Jesus, right? He, he distributes gifts. And these gifts are the people, according to Ephesians 4.11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So there is a sense in Paul's mind that the people themselves are gifts to the body. And their roles uh, differ. I I am aware that some interpret uh, Ephesians 4.11 in such a way that pastors and teachers are two sides of one coin. In other words, they would say pastors slash teachers, like they're the same. I don't read it that way. I, I understand it's a it's a... People have differences of opinion about it. But it, so in that sense, I would say if, if pastors are roles, so are teachers, so are evangelists, so are apostles, so are prophets. Certainly Paul envisions that there is, it is also possible that people have a gift to teach. That's 1 Corinthians 12. That's Romans 12. I don't think these are mutually exclusive. I think it's a both and. I think there are some people that just who they are is a teacher. They are an apostle. They are a prophet. I mean, think of what Paul says. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, some of us in our, in our day would be like, Paul, you know, just rest in his love, buddy. You know, you're a <laughs> son of the father. He, he loves you. He, he's crazy about you. And Paul's like, bro, I, I know that I'm the one who wrote all that stuff about the love of God in Romans eight and adopted as sons. I wrote that, but at the same time, I'm aware this is who I am. Galatians 1, from my mother's womb, he set me apart for this. It's a part of my identity. I can't not do this. You know, it, 
If I don't do it, I'm not living up to who I am. Some people are wired that way. That's the way I see these five-fold leaders. It's just, it's who they are. It's the way they approach life. Other people may not be like teachers like that, but they have a gift and they'll use it as, you know, Romans 12, according to their faith, and they'll use it in certain scenarios and God will use them, but you're not going to expect them to carry that kind of identity, you know, in every, like, I'm a teacher. I can't turn it off, bro. Like, it doesn't matter the scenario in which I am. I'm always thinking about, well, how could I help somebody understand, you know, this or that or the other thing? It just, I can't turn that off. Other people are like, look, it's not my problem. No problem. I'm not worried about it. And so there is a distinction between the gift and the identity, or if if you want to say the role or the function from in Ephesians 4 sense, I think there's a difference. Um, So can a pastor by identity also teach? Sure. Of course. Like there's there's no rules against that. I, I, I see that as a complimentary aspect. Most of us probably have a primary wiring, but we have a gift that we can use in other ways, or maybe someone's gifted as an evangelist, but God uses them in works of healing too. Like that's not a contradiction. I just think it's more of an, a compliment. So if, if you have a church who has a senior pastor, who's a gifted teacher, then you're in great shape. But you might have a church who has a senior pastor. Maybe he's not that great of a teacher. Maybe there are others around him who can contribute to that work. Now, this is going to take a humble and sincere approach on, on that leader's part to be able to not be threatened by that, but rather to celebrate it. And I think it would do the body good. I understand that's difficult sometimes in, in certain contexts to accept that. But like one of the things I think we can do better at as leaders you know, is to work toward recognizing and honoring uh, the gifts among us that might differ, but it's not a competition, Marcus. <laughs> I mean, we're all in this for the Lord Jesus, and we're all in this to build his people. And if I'm a leader and I realize, you know what, I'm not the great of a pastor, uh, and, and people are struggling in my community, and they really need folks to, to counsel them and sit with them and pray with them and you know walk them through things, I don't want to be threatened by the fact that another one of my brothers can do that better. I want to, I want to release him into that so that he can flourish so that they can get whole. And so that together we can rise up into the headship of Jesus. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at. So I think depend, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you have somebody who's a senior pastor or not, I think our ultimate goal should be to mobilize the gifts in the body so that the body itself becomes as strong and fruitful as it can be. One of the greatest issues that we see is what, what, what you just explained, where someone has a certain gifting and they have a role, but then there's someone else below them who also has that same gifting but probably performs better. And I think within the context of our community, the difference is, is that a lot of these churches and these uh, reputations were established pre-1989, pre-fall uh, of communism. They came here with their titles and stuff, and Obviously, in those conditions, pe- churches were formed and pastors were formed under a lot of pressure. People step up, basically stepped up to the plate and kind of took that role. And then now when we're kind of moving to America, we're having uh, certain people going to getting an education, all that. Now there's almost like this competitive spirit. And that happens a lot. And I've seen it a lot in almost a lot. Every like Eastern church, I would say, I wouldn't even limit it to Romanians. I think the Eastern culture kind of 
brings that with them here to America. But um, but I like that you mentioned that because I mean that's the perfect advice to take. Now, kind of like on this on this note, um, I'm sure uh, even though as you were describing earlier, you're more of an elder in that in the cross culture church in the community in the house church community, uh, but you have collaborated and talked to and probably discipled a lot of pastors uh, over the years. And I want to ask you, um, I guess from your experience, what are the biggest issues that you've seen a young pastor try to tackle? What are what are certain things that a pastor goes into ministry, doesn't see, and has to learn from? Or maybe what are certain cultural or societal things that are getting a way of, of preaching the true gospel? But uh, basically, what are things that they can work on from based off your experience and and, and working with these people? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question, right? I mean, we're, we're all trying to wrestle through how to be faithful to the Lord um, in very difficult times. And, and so, you know, even in, as you were talking about the history of, of the Romanian community where you're a part, you know, I, I am not an expert and I don't want to speak as though I have all the answers here, you know, and even, even in our context, you know, we, all I can say, bro, is we spend a lot of time on our faces before God. And, and I, I, I think these are days when we just can't take things for granted. Mm-hmm. We can't assume that we know what to do. You know, the, these are really days for hearing the voice of the chief shepherd and being willing to walk with him through through seasons of life that um, we may not feel like we're ready for, but um, we can, he, he's trustworthy. And so we really have to lean in. And I think, you know, when, when people who are just starting out in any kind of ministry context, um, they're facing a combination of challenges. On the one hand, most of them, you know, probably have, you know, a real hunger, a real desire, you know, I mean, you don't, you don't go to Bible college or something when you're young, unless you really have a sense of, man, I, I want to do this. And so there's a zeal. There's, there's a, an eagerness to make a difference in it and to see things, you know, happen. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not wrong. And I, I don't, I don't want to diminish that in any way. Um, and some of our older leaders need to recapture some of that to be honest, yeah, absolutely. you know, because what, what, what can working in any area over time do? I mean, it, it can wear you down. It can dull you. It can sometimes take a toll. Um, so I, I don't say that in a diminishing way, like, Oh, they're full of zeal that, you know, that's a bad thing. Look, the zeal is right. When it's in accordance with knowledge, it's right. And we need it. I think what, I think what young, young leaders almost certainly have to confront, however, is when their experience of leadership does not line up with their expectations, Mm. right? You know, everybody goes into it. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. Most of us go into it, I think, with a sense of calling, with a sense of purpose, with a sense of mission. And and we think God called us, so he's going to do it. And, you know, we're going to you know, going to lay our track and we're going to run and it's going to be awesome. And I don't know if all of us are, are, are super prepared for the kinds of things that we're going to face. You know, we all expect to be, to be opposed by the devil. We all expect that. We all expect spiritual conflict. We all expect that. What we don't always expect 
is that disappointment and frustration with the lack of progress or confusion or, you know, we don't always know what to do with those things when we face them. You know, we may not have a very clear long-term perspective that, of course, when we're reading scriptures, we, sh- we should be prepared for because <laughs> Jesus and, and the apostles are fairly clear about trials and tests and, and all kinds of things. Da- you know, Paul's track record, dangers from without, dangers from within, false brothers, false, you know, but we don't always, uh, we don't always meditate on that. You know, we, we meditate on the conversions and the healings and the, you know, church planting and all that. But I think a lot of it has to do with our own hearts being ready for what is likely to be the sting that, that accompanies leadership on pretty much any level. And it, and I don't necessarily mean that in, in a negative, like, pessimistic way. I'm, I'm just saying, hey, one of the first things leaders are going to have to deal with is that they can't please everybody. Yep. And if, if you're not ready to embrace that reality, you should just not start leading <laughs> because th- there is, there is no way to lead any, you know, more than one person yourself. <clears throat> There's no way to lead more than yourself without somebody disagreeing with you, at least some of the time. You know, husbands and wives know this, you know, best friends know this, like you're going to disagree. People are going to disagree with you. If, if we're not ready to handle disappointing others, um, it's going to be a huge problem because any kind of leadership position is going to, it's going to invite you to make decisions that are going to be unpopular with somebody. And that's just the way it is. Now, I'm not saying that so that you develop a calloused, cynical heart. I'm just saying that so that you know that the first responsibility you have is to be at peace with the Lord and to lead out of a place that says, look, I I can't lead for the approval of people. That is effectively going to neutralize your capacity to lead because in that instance, you're not leading. They are. Yeah. (laughs) It, it reminds me of the story of Saul in the Old Testament. Did you, I mean, Saul had an issue in his life that I don't think he ever really dealt with. And that was fear. The first time that Samuel called him to be king, you know, they're going to anoint him and he's hiding in the luggage, right? He's, there's something about, even though he's half a head taller than everybody else and he looks the part, there's something inside that isn't settled with him. And it manifests itself later on when Samuel gives him these instructions. Hey, wait for me. When I, you know, when I come back, we'll do X, Y, and Z. And I want you to wipe out everything, you know, slaughter all those cattle, everything. Well, Samuel comes back and and he's like, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear? And Saul's like, well, you know, uh, I just thought whatever, whatever, whatever. And he makes the statement, you know, I didn't, I, I, I feared the people. And so I let them keep the best of the the animals and all that. And then he has the statement. He says to Saul, now come back with me so that they'll know I'm still king. (laughs) And it's such an ironic statement because it's like, Saul, you're not in charge around here. They are. You, You just told me that you did this because you feared them. 
So you're not in charge anyway. You, you, you want Samuel to take you back and prop you up. And it's like, you're not, you're not ruling. The, the people are ruling because you're afraid of them. So I think a lot of us you know, struggle with fear in the sense that we want to be liked. We want people to, to approve of what we're doing. We want the pat on the back. We want that affirmation, right? And it's only natural, but it is something that needs to be conquered. Not with arrogance, not with pride, not in the sense of, I don't care what anybody thinks. No, with, with humility and confidence in the Lord. Look, we should always be open to critique. We should always be open to people who maybe want to help us. Well, maybe they don't want to help us, but they're, they're criticizing. We can't just rule things out, but neither can the criticisms rule us. You know, we have to find that sweet spot where I'm totally submitted to God. I'm totally at rest with him, judging my conscience and my heart. And for that reason, I can listen to anyone who has a challenge or anyone who has a concern or a criticism without taking it personally, without feeling like they're trying to undermine me, or even if they are, I'm not going to worry about it. If, if God truly put me in this spot, then I can rest in that. And I can lead from a place that is open, but also in a, in a place that, you know, where, where I have real confidence, like, Lord, this was not my idea. You called me to this. So you're going to have to help me make it work because I, I don't know how to do this. You do. So I think young leaders, especially, there's a temptation to kind of prove something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, let me, let me prove I belong here. Let me make it clear that I can preach. Let me show them that I know how to do the exegesis. And let me show them that I know how to lead with, with, with authority and with confidence. Let me show them that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to just cave in under the pressure. Look, I, I get it. <laughs> no, we all, we want to make a mark. We want to, you know, the people we believe who believe in us, we want to prove them right. But we have to find that place where the last thing that we're concerned about should be our reputation or a name for ourselves, or, you know, we, we, we should, we have to find that place of rest and peace and trusting God, God, God called you to it. Then let him make it possible. You don't have to force your way into something. And again, that's hard when you're younger because you're, like I said, you got zeal, you're ready to go. I mean, it's difficult when it doesn't look like the door's opening for you. And there are temptations to kind of push your way in somewhere or make something happen or, well, I don't agree with such and such. So I'm just going to do my own thing. And, and sometimes you can really undermine God's purpose in your life by jumping ahead real quick. And then I'll, I'll, I'll stop for a second, but just, you know, think about Joseph, right? He's, he's 17 years old when he sees these, these, he has these dreams from God about being in a position of authority over his father, his mother, his siblings, 17. And, and I want to say two things. First of all, the dreams were from God. It, it was from the Lord. Um, and we find that out later on. But the second thing I want to say is we find that out later on. Yeah. There, there, he, he does not step into the fulfillment of those dreams for 20 years. And it's 20 years marked by betrayal enslavement, false accusation, unjust imprisonment, 
people ignoring him, even though he's helping them and, you know, whatever, prophesying correctly. 20 years. But listen, that was the training ground that produced the Joseph that saved not only Egypt, but his people as well. You can have a call. God can speak to you, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're ready to execute. So that's why you also have to walk with the Lord through the process and not insist on having his calling accomplished in your way. I like that you mentioned that because even with the story, so with the story of Joseph, even David, who was anointed as a teenager, had to wait until his time came to be king. You know, there, and it's, uh, I feel like it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's, it's, it's encouraging, but then it's also like, um, we know that we need to wait. And sometimes, like you said, like young people, uh, like I, I consider myself young, we have that zeal, we have that ambition and we want to prove something. We want to do things now, right? We live, we live in a, we live in a society in a, in a generation that, um, desires instant gratification. We, we don't know what patience is, is anymore. We don't understand what waiting on the Lord is. Um, but I'm glad that you, you, you mentioned this as the issue because, I guess at surface value, when I'm thinking of, of certain issues, I think of like the ones that stick out, the ones that are problematic to a lot of people. But I feel like this, um, uh, this, this having this zeal and these false expectations and and kind of getting ahead of ourselves, I think that's pretty universal to almost every single leader starting in ministry. Like every everyone's going to go through that. I mean, no one's no one starts it perfectly. There has to be trials. There has to be refinement. There has to be all those things. So I'm glad that you kind of brought that up because I think that's, I mean, me personally, it's relatable for me right now in my season, but every everyone else who's listening, the younger people, I think that's, and like you said, even maybe some older people need to kind of right. t- uh, take some of that advice as well. So um, so regarding the, so we're, we're living in interesting times right now, and there's going to be a interesting future for a lot of people in ministry um, starting today, going forward. Um I guess for all the young, maybe young or leaders in general right now who are either starting a ministry or have been in ministry and plan on being in ministry for the years, the decades they come, um, what would you advise them uh, going forward, considering the the degradation of our society, considering uh, the pressures that we're going to face from every single corner? How would you advise them to be strong in the Lord? How would you advise them to pastor their flock? And how would you advise them, advise them to uh, just continue to be faithful uh, regardless of what uh, obstacles come their way? Wow, yeah. Uh, well, I know this is probably going to sound very elementary. <laughs> um, but man, we have to keep the first things first. Your Your job as a leader, your job as a pastor, your responsibility as a a church planter, it can never outrun your commitment to the secret place. I, you, you cannot sacrifice prayer for anything else, not board meetings, not choir practices, not ministry endeavors, not, not planning strategy meetings. Uh, it, it, it cannot happen, especially now. Maybe there was a day in America where there, there was kind of a, you could put certain things on cruise control, although I doubt it. But this is not one of those days. 
And if you as a young leader are not carving out chunks of time to sit at the feet of the king, at a certain point, you're going to reach the end of yourself and not have anything left. So I want to exhort every one of your listeners, find the closet, lock yourself in, you know, take, take a day every few weeks or months and just get a jug of water and go to the woods or, or borrow a friend's uh, apartment who's out of town and just sit with Jesus. Let him sift your heart. Let him work through all of the thoughts that are swirling around, all of the voices that are just echoing through our minds. Like, you know, it's, 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 it can be deafening, the volume. Everyone has an opinion. And whatever your opinion is, if you spend enough time online, you can find somebody with a few letters after their name to endorse it. That's the world we live in. Uh, we can't just operate based on news media, social media. Uh, we can't just operate based on, you know, these, these voices. We don't even know them. But, but we are somehow convinced that they have the key to dealing with whatever crisis we're dealing with. We have to be in the, in the secret place. If, if you don't have time to pray, then you don't have time to do anything. You, you have to, we have to change the mentality that we're going to pray when we get around to it. Or that the work we do is more important than the prayer part. It's really not. And we're just sabotaging our effectiveness when we abandon the place of prayer. So, yeah, if you're a young leader, start right now. You, you don't wait 10 years to discover that your lack of intimacy with God has caused you to wreck relationships, wound people, stunt your own growth. Don't do that. You know, get back to that. Cultivate your first love in secret where no one else knows and no one else is around. The second thing I would say, if you haven't already done this, you need to start cultivating vulnerable and open relationships with brothers in the faith who can ask you any question at any time about your life and you will commit to answering it without getting offended. It's the time for like Lone Ranger leadership. I mean, there never was a time for that. But if, if, it, if, it, if there ever was a time to say it's over, this is the time. I'm sure your listeners are aware of all the podcasts out there about the churches that collapsed and the leaders that committed immorality and the big names, big international ministries that have been exposed within the last year and a half. How does that happen? That happens when people build silos that are impenetrable by others and think that they don't have a right to ask them certain kinds of questions. We have to undo that. We need a new generation of young men and women who are, who are in, functioning in various kinds of roles who are willing to open their lives up to one another and, and say, you can ask me anything you want anytime about how my private life is, how I'm dealing with sexual lust, how I'm dealing with disappointment, how I'm dealing with fear, how I'm dealing with, you know, being married, not being married, how I'm doing with my kids, what is my life, what's going on, how am I doing at work? Guys, this is not the time to insist on some kind of 
holy independence. That, that's not a thing. In the, in the body of Christ, we're dependent on one another. Mm-hmm. And it is my conviction that we have harmed the name of Jesus by, by, by not insisting on transparency and openness. And again, I'm not saying you go out into the church Sunday morning and you start rehearsing your, your sinful thoughts. I don't mean it like that. There's got to be people in your life, young leader, who know who you are. Not the, not the vision of you that's put forth on Instagram. Not the vision of you that people see on Sunday morning, dressed up all nice with a smile on your face and a big Bible. The person that you are has to be accessible to others. And if, it's, if, if you're not open to those kinds of conversations, my conviction is you'll sabotage yourself. That, that this true brotherhood, right? True accountability. We use that word all the time. But honestly, accountability is only as effective as the people involved. You can say, well, I'm accountable to so-and-so. But if so-and-so isn't really asking you the kinds of questions that need to be asked, and if you're just not answering them or if you're lying about it, you can have an, a quote, accountability system that does not function to provide accountability at all. The, the kinds of relationships, okay, that, that, that we need as brothers, as leaders, they just, they're going to be challenging because many of us are not used to that. We feel that somehow that is a sign of weakness to open our lives to others. I would challenge that. I think it's weak not to open our lives to others. I think being vulnerable is a characteristic of the Lord Jesus who loved people, even though he knew they would turn around and betray him. He did not hold anything back. He poured out his heart to them in John 13 through 17, even knowing that they would turn around, hand him over and then abandon him. That's strength. Strength is when we're willing to open our lives to others so that we're not living some kind of pretend charade. So, yeah, the secret place, vulnerable, open relationships with brothers that are going to ask us pointed questions that, that we are committed to answer because we're devoted to the Lord and we're in covenant with one another. And then the third thing I guess I would say is we we have to approach our lives in such a way that they're not compartments. That you know, sometimes we think, well, that, that's my ministry life, but this is my home life. That, that's my church life, but this is my home life, or this is my job life, and this is my private life. We, we have to start erasing those boundaries and be the same person no matter where we are. One of the most important images of leadership, I believe, in the New Testament is found in 1 Timothy 3, where Paul is discussing the responsibilities for an overseer. And he says that they have to be able to manage their own household well. If not, how can they lead the church of Christ? That tells me something. It tells me that from an apostolic point of view, from Paul's point of view, the role of an elder, the role of a leader in that, in that sense is parental. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a job. It's not a corporate position. It's best compared to the role of a father. 
So what that tells me is that my home life is very much of concern to the church that I'm supposed to be leading. And then I can't sit back and say, well, you don't have the right to ask me about my marriage or my kids because that's, that's my business. No, I'm sorry. It's not. It's our business. Because if you're going to lead us, we have to know that you're leading your wife well, that you're nourishing her, cherishing her. Like Ephesians 5, you're washing her with the word. You're supporting her. You're giving kindness and grace and charity because she's the weaker vessel, First Peter 3. We, we have to know that. We have to see it. We have to know that you're not provoking your kids to wrath, right? Ephesians 6. We have to know that you're raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We have to know that they're loyal to you because of these things. That is public information when it comes to testing overseers in 1 Timothy 3. This is not something we're allowed to say that's off limits. Family is the primary grid for church in the New Testament. So a parental role is the primary grid for elders, pastors, leaders, however we, whatever terminology we want to say. So we have to stop compartmentalizing and thinking I can do my job in ministry regardless of what's going on at home. Actually, your job in ministry should be an outflow of what's going on at home. Because if it's not going on there, then it's probably not going to go on in the quote church. So I would urge young leaders right now, like, listen, if, if you're married, if you have kids, turn your gaze in a, in a Christ honoring way to caring for your spouse, to caring for your children with integrity, with diligence, with patience, and with abiding love. Because the more you do that, the stronger your family unit is. I am convinced the more effective your work will be in the broader congregation. If you have, if your house is full of all kinds of tension and disorder and, and strife and argument, Listen, you're going to reproduce that in the body. You can't not. It's because you, you can't split yourself. You are who you are. And so we have to be, first of all, devoted to that place. I always talk about this. Like my first responsibility in discipleship is my wife and children. If, if I'm not leading them in the way of the Lord, how, how, how do I think I'm going to lead others? They're the people closest to me. They're the people I spend the most time with. They're the people who know me best. If they're not inspired by my faith, if they're not inspired by my love for the Lord, if they're not feeling stronger, wiser, more full because I'm involved in their lives, then the, the thing that's going on out here is just a show. It's just a performance. It's just hollow. So I really want to urge all of you, and if you're not married, you, it's okay. You can still do this with your th the people that are closest to you. If you still live at home, man, your parents should be glowing in their testimony about you because your, your, your faith in the Lord should result in honoring, them, serving them, being a blessing to, they should be better because you're in their household. Or if you live with roommates, you know, you just a few guys living together. Hey, these guys should be the first testimony of your fidelity to Jesus, your, your servanthood, your kindness, your patience, your love. If you want to lead my youth ministry, but your roommates don't like you because you don't clean up after yourself. You make a mess. You don't respect their privacy. You bring people in at all hours of the night. Guess what? No, sir. It's not going to happen. 
the, the people closest to you should be the first ones who are bearing witness to your faithfulness to the Lord and your character and your heart. That's why you have all these instructions in the letters about the household, because it's the first place the kingdom touches the ground in the most intimate relationships of our lives. So look, get in the secret place, cultivate vulnerable relationships with brothers who you're going to commit yourself to linking arms with over the long haul. And then start thinking family. The natural family is the first place where you express your calling. And the, the, the people immediately around you start building people there and God will open doors to build people elsewhere. Don't do it in reverse because you're going to find a lot of pain at the end of that road. You think you can help people quote out there, but the people inside your own household are suffering and broken. That's not the path. So think, think inside out, right? Internally, the secret place close relationships, friendships in which you're accountable, linking arms for the glory of God, family, the the people around you in your household whose lives should be better because you're there. You you guys take care of those things, then God will take care of those, of the ministry opportunities. I firmly believe that. And I think that's the testimony of the word. Jesus, last thing, Jesus, for 30 some years, just lived in his parents' household. And was faithful to them. That's it. We have one story when he was 12, you know, going to the temple in Jerusalem, asking questions, dialoguing with religious leaders. The rest of it, silence. And after those 30 years of nothing, you know, again, in our view, but for Jesus, he was, he was submitted to God's timing. He was submitted to his own mother, his father for how long, how long he was in the picture. At the end of those 30 years, when he was baptized in the Jordan, God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. He didn't do anything yet. Ah, but he did. He did what was right in front of him until it was time to do something else. So I'd urge you guys, you know, listening today, you know, God may have a call on your life and it may be authentic and genuine and confirmed with prophecy and the laying on of hands of the, of, of the elders. That's awesome but you don't have to make it happen. You don't have to rush anything. Just walk with Jesus and be faithful in the place where you are right now. And God will open the door when it's time. It doesn't help when we try to do the things that God himself can only do. So on this level, we need to learn that discipline uh, of, of patience and waiting on God and being faithful in the little things, right? Jesus is very clear. If you're faithful in the little things, I'll entrust you with more. Mm-hmm. Okay. We can't skip that part. We can't be unfaithful in small things and then decide we're going to flip a switch. And when it comes to, oh, all of a sudden now it's something big. Now I'm going to be faithful. No, because the, he says this in Luke 16, I believe the way you handle the little things is exactly how you handle the big ones. So let's be faithful with the stuff that's right in front of us. And let's trust God just like Joseph, just like Daniel, just like David, like do, do what you can. And then God will open the door for you to do what he wants in his time. Absolutely. Wow. That was, that was great. Um, the, I mean, the last two points, especially, I mean, all three points are great, but actually, no, I, I would say for me, all three points are really convicting because <laughs> I, I think like 
maybe not for everyone, uh, but for me, I'm very like, I guess, logistical. I like to plan things out. And I mean, if I look back, I've neglected prayer so much. I've neglected that secret place so much. And I mean, vulnerability with, with other people. I mean, that's a, that's non-existent in, in, in Eastern cultures. That's a, a culture that's basically built upon reputation and all that. And, and I, and I see it and I see it in my own life. I've seen like the times where I've wanted to hide away. And then I've seen the times mm-hmm. where I've opened up where, I mean, there was great breakthrough in, in those moments. And then uh, just, I guess the, like the, the two face aspect that you're talking about. Um, it's funny. I actually mm-hmm. listen to, um, I, I don't read books as much anymore. I listen to them, but I forgot what book it was, but it was talking <laughs> about the life of A.W. Tozer and how, and you know, he has a great name. He's done a lot for the Lord and, pastoring teaching writing all that uh but the author the, the the book that i was listening to talked about his family life and it was not reflective of his uh ministerial life and basically mm. there was just not not that he wasn't that he was doing anything wrong but he just there was tension with his wife and kids this and that they weren't get a, getting along and the point that this book was making was basically making sure that your first priority is in the household, that your first ministry, as you said, like you're, you're, the people you disciple first are your wife and children. That's how it should be. Uh, the Before the Great Commission, there was the Be Fruitful and Multiply Commission. So we have, we have all those different things, and we have to really keep that in mind. But no, that was great. And you know, typically, I have like a, like a final question, um, but you kind of like answered all of it at the end over there with, with uh, talking about Jesus and everything. So uh, brother Jeff, thank you so much, uh, for, for being on here. And, um, even though it, like I said, it be- before we started recording, like, oh, we're cool. It's, I'm cool with like tangents and stuff. I think the Lord really kind of drew out what, what message he wanted for, for this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I mean, I, I learned a lot. I, I hope a lot of young people do too, but, uh, I really appreciate you being on here. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Marcus. Anytime. It was a joy being with you, and yeah, however I can help out, I'm happy to do so. Praise God. Praise God. And for uh, for your listeners out there, just same kind of announcements, Potters at the Potter's House on Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for your streaming. Uh, please, again, uh, if you can leave a review, tap those stars. It really helps with the exposure of the show. And last but not least, we have the website uh, on there as well. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you have a blessed week, and we will see you next time. 